As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Starcast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. Today we have a very special guest on the pod, Eintracht Frankfurt hooligan and award-winning author Ronald Reng joins us to tell you everything you ever wanted to know and a few bits on top of that about the club's fantastic season. Christoph Biermann is also on hand to shine more light on the murky conflict between Hansi Flick and sections of the Bayern hierarchy. Do Dortmund have a chance to make it past Manchester City? Where Köln right to fire Markus Gisdol? And could Julian Nagelsmann go to Tottenham next? All these questions will be answered here in Starcast. Welcome Ronny, welcome Christoph, welcome dear listener. Uh, before we get going though, a quick reminder that The Athletic's fine written content is available for just £3.99 a month for six months at the moment. Go to theathletic.com slash starcastpod to sign up. Schnell. Right boys, I mean when Ronny's on the pod there's only one place to start and that's Bayern. No, no, I'm joking. Ronnie, we've waited, I don't know, 20 years to talk to you about um, Eintracht being in the Champions League places. This is this is your stage. Take it away. How do you feel? You could have talked to me in 1960 if we would have been born then. Everybody remembers the big uh, Glasgow final when Eintracht Frankfurt took on Real Madrid in the, well, it wasn't called the Champions League. But we are back again, yes. Um, and it's not such a big surprise. I mean, the team has been building for, for at least four years and... Uh, I don't know. I think sometimes in, in February, you the typical Eintracht Frankfurt feeling that they will cock it up in the end went just away. And you got a feeling, no, this team is just uh, full of confidence. This, team's, this team know what they want to do and they're flying. I mean, I think the game on Saturday against Wolfsburg, I'm sure you, you saw it. Um, and you two guys watch much more Bundesliga than I do. But I had a feeling that was the best Bundesliga game of the season I've, I've seen. Um, you know, two teams really went for it. They wanted, both teams wanted to win it and Eintracht were the better side on the pitch. What's been the secret in the second half of the season? Is it really the return of, of Luka Jovic, which has, which has added so much up front? Kostic looks much happier. Andre Silva has been phenomenal. Is, is Jovic the guy that just adds that little bit else to, to everyone else? No, I think the big change came in, in December after the, well, at least in Frankfurt, famous lack of courage debate. Um, you know, when I think it was in November, there was a game against Stuttgart and Adi Hütter, the manager, fielded just um, ball-winning win midfielders. He played a midfield of uh, Kor, Ilzanka, um, Zuba, I think he played, and they were 2-0 down at halftime. And every Frankfurt supporter, in particular, every Frankfurt journalist went ballistic because they feel, no, there's a big lack of courage here, Mr. Mr. Hütter. And he got lots of stick after the game. I think the Frankfurter Rundschau, the local uh, paper, you know, these journal journalists, they are covering Eintracht for 30 years and they've seen the big years. Uh, when they just uh, went for him and said, you can't play with such a lack of courage. And um, Hütter called in an off-the-record press conference with the journalist. He got lots of talks within the club that maybe he should bring the ball players in the team. And he did. Um, I think he tried 
again with a more defensive team in Wolfsburg in the first half of the season, lost again. And then there was this big turning point, the Augsburg game, when the, for the first time he played Junes and Barcock. Um, and these are really five-a-side players. I mean, the way they play football is like on a five-a-side pitch. If you go to North London, you want to have them uh, on your team, really. Um, and they really played an impressive game in Augsburg. They won 2-0. And from that point, they started to believe that they can go out and play football and he fields uh, the ball players. And Frankfurt, maybe apart from Bayern Munich, has more ball players in the team than any other team in the Bundesliga. So the confidence was growing. The team had a feeling we know what we do. And at least since three or four years at Frankfurt, there is this winning mentality. You, you both know Dortmund always get criticized for not having mentality. And lots of people get it wrong. They think uh, oh, the players are not strong enough, uh, they don't go in for the tackles. That's not the mentality you want in your team. You want a winning mentality, the feeling that we go out there and we got the confidence, we know what we do, we are tactically well prepared, um, we know our way to play and we can beat anybody. And Frankfurt has this mentality developed in the big games of the last three or four years because they had lots of special nights uh, when they took Chelsea to penalties in the semi-final of the Europa League. So there is a feeling in the, in the club and within the team, we can do something special here. And that helps the team. You know, I always compare them to the, to the old days, 2000 years ago, when the German tribes took on the Roman emperor. Um, once the German tribes won one big battle, they were looking for the second battle because they got a feeling we can beat those Romans. And this is what's happening at Frankfurt for three or four years. Kovac was the first manager who brought that mentality to the club. And I also think it's about goal setting, really. Uh, lots of clubs, they go in, mid-table clubs like Frankfurt. They go into the season saying, well, we want to finish on 45 points. Or they say, well, we want to finish in eighth place. And this is really an abstract goal. But Kovac was the first in Frankfurt to go in and said, we want to be the fittest team in the league. And this is a very concrete goal. This gives you something to work in training every day. We want to be the fittest team in the league. And that's how they play for, for three or four years. And uh, even if the players change, they, they maintain that mentality. You know, on Saturday, we're playing three at the back. Um, none of the three players who played on Saturday at the back, Ilzanka, Tuta and Nindika, was in the first team in the first half of the season. And they just came in and it works because there is this, there is this mentality and feeling we are a winning side. Uh, my history is patchy, but who won the contest between the Romans and the Germans at the end? Uh, in those? <laughs> well, we, we, are not, we are not there at the end, I think. Yeah. Right, right. Because of how... How impressed were you with Frankfurt's win against Wolfsburg? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed by uh, Ronnie's analysis. Well, we all are. Yeah, so, so I mean, embedded in with with the with a broad uh, perspective, historical perspective. But I'm surprised that he didn't mention Kamada at all because I mean, um, as as he was writing recently in a in an article that I would like to recommend to everybody is that he is the uh, biggest Kamada fan. In the world, or he is uh, fighting for uh, supremacy in that field with Adi Hütter. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, and so, so maybe we, he can tell us a bit about Kamada uh, later on. And yeah, obviously, I mean, everybody was impressed, uh, about, not not only by the Frankfurt performance, but also by by the by the game altogether, because it was uh, there were two teams uh, that went out to. Um, to win and um, interesting also that um, Frankfurt managed to put four uh, in, into Wolfsburg's gold. I don't know how much did they they get, got uh, three goals against them in the whatever last eight matches uh, before or so. So that is a huge achievement and uh, normally maybe you would have expected it to be a, a bit of fought. 
one nil, one one nil, nil or whatever, but that it was so much free-flowing football uh, there was uh, really impressive. And um, and I've, I found it interesting that um, Ronnie was uh, was talking so much about mentality and fitness uh, together with the footballing aspect um, of Eintracht Frankfurt, because what we have uh, been saying in, in recent weeks and months is this muscular aspect of, of Eintracht Frankfurt, because um, uh, they, they combine two big qualities. The one is uh, playing uh, nice football, but on the other hand, also being a tough team to beat. Um, and that brings a combination um, that is, is really impressive and fun to watch. Uh, even for a neutral, so even if you're not 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 very interested in in in, um, in Eintracht Frankfurt uh, because you're not a fan, it's uh, always good to 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 watch them uh, play. Ronnie, Frankfurt are now are, are still seven points clear of of Dortmund in fourth spot. They're now just one point behind Wolfsburg in third. So it's not longer just a case of holding on to fourth. They might actually finish third this season. Amidst all the enjoyment and the excitement, is there also a worry among uh, Eintracht fans or maybe within the club that what's going to come next might not be as good? And I'm, of course, referring to some strong rumours that Adi Hütter might move to Borussia Mönchengladbach at the end of the season. There will be players like Philipp Kostic who have not managed to move to a big club so far who might now feel the time is right. We don't know what's going to happen with Luka Jovic, but it's unlikely that Frankfurt, I think, will, will be able to keep him for a longer time. Is there a concern that this is as good as it gets and next year is going to be very difficult, even if they do finish in the Champions League? Well, on a general level, I think this is the big reason why German teams haven't performed um, in the Europa League. And... Uh, on a smaller scale in the Champions League because there have been teams um, like Frankfurt this season who pushed up uh, in the table and at the end of the season they were basically torn apart um, because they lost their their manager like Hoffenheim when they qualified for the Champions League uh, two or three years ago and then Julia Nagelsmann went on to Leipzig. So this is basically uh, an accident bound to happen to Frankfurt as well. They're already losing their... Um, Vice President for Sports Relationship or for Sports Matters, Freddy Bobic, who really gave a good structure to the club, um, the scouting system, who really um, had a good eye for sporting for sporting players and had built up good relationships with clubs like Real Madrid so they could get a player like Jovic on, on the loan. Um, it seems they are losing Hütter as well, uh, which fairly I don't understand. Uh, what does he want to do at Mönchengladbach? Um, basically, you know, for two or three weeks since this rumor has been going on, I was trying to, I was talking to people at the club. But is it really true? Because I thought he was just, well, asking for, I don't know, more money on his contract in Frankfurt, you know, trying to uh, squeeze some money out of Frankfurt or he just wanted a, a pat on the back uh, from Frankfurt saying, we, we love you, Adi, please stay. But it seems serious from, from what I hear that he really is interested in Mönchengladbach. Um, I can't see what you win at Mönchengladbach. Which, but you don't have at Frankfurt at the time. Of course, they have Max Abel, um, which gives you stability as a sports director, somebody who's really behind you, but uh, he might leave in one or two years' time anyway. So um, it will be a loss um, because at the same time, you lose um, the two guys who make the decision um, on, on the pitch. And uh, as far as the players are concerned, I'm not sure who will leave. I don't think they know yet. Um, they all have contracts. You know, Eintracht have been really good in uh, renegotiating the contracts. So the contracts run at least for two years with all the big players like Kamada, Kostic, um, Ndika, uh, players who are really interested. But uh, it's more confusing than boring at the moment. I, I agree with, with Ronnie. I, I also try to get my head around the idea why uh, Hütter should leave for uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. So... I mean, we, we, we are often, often talking about the next step idea uh, when it comes to uh, successful managers moving from one club to another. But I don't see the next step uh, here. Um, uh, and uh, maybe there is something going on at, at, at Frankfurt that... Um, uh, behind the scenes where things may be uh, with the departure of... of uh, um, 
of Freddy Bobic, uh, maybe make uh, a manager like Adi Hütter less optimistic about the uh, coming years? Um, I don't know. Um, so um, that is a, 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 a mystery to be solved right now. Well, it'd certainly be a shame if uh, Adi Hütter wasn't there to reap the rewards of this fantastic season, taking Frankfurt to the Champions League for the first time ever, hopefully with fans, because we, we all know how important the supporters are to the club and how amazing it would be to see them travel to those games in the Champions League. But Ronnie, if he does go, have you heard anything about possible replacement? Oh, I haven't heard anything officially. Um, I don't think they are looking for, for a replacement yet. I mean, I was talking to somebody who's making decision at the club last week and they were trying, still trying to find out what's going on with Hitter at the time. Um, I think the obvious choice for me would be Domenico Tedesco, um, who is a great coach. And according to what I heard, I'm, I'm not watching Russian football. <laughs> He's with Spartak Moscow at the time, but he plays a much more in a much more attacking way uh, there than he did at Schalke. That was the big question mark uh, when he left Schalke. I think he's a very good man-manager, but he was very, playing a very defensive football, a Mourinho kind of football. Could he um, take such an attacking side like Frankfurt to another level? And from what I've heard from, from Russia or from people uh, who know Domenico, um, he changed and he did a great job there. So I think he's the, the, the obvious candidate. But as I said, that's more... Uh, me thinking about a new manager than Eintracht Frankfurt at the moment. Um, the thing with the the successor for Freddy Bobic, it seems uh, that they have found somebody, but I don't know uh, who it is, um, who will take the sporting decision, you know, the kind of sports director you would say in English football. Um, and as I said, with the players, it's, it's, it's bound to be seen. I mean, I thought we didn't have the time to talk about Kamada because it takes uh, <laughs> ages and hours. But if you just want to want a few words about Kamada, um, I think he's he's very close, and I'm very serious about this. Very close to play for a team like like Barcelona. You know, he's he's a uh, his skills are just second to none. When you see him play, I always think of uh, Lionel Richie, um, that song, uh, "Easy Like a Sunday Morning." Um, <laughs> he's just easy like a Sunday morning, like he's floating all the time. And the ideas, the vision he has in the game, it's fantastic. Um, I don't know how you feel. I mean, we've grown a bit older, and I'm just tired of watching games to see who wins and who loses. Um, I've seen enough uh, enough Frankfurt losing enough times, but I just love to watch good and, and strange and different football players. And I think Kamada is really the ideas he brings on the pitch and he does it so easily like Lionel Richie. Um, it's just fantastic. And um, I think in, in German football, there's another guy at Mönchengladbach, uh, maybe Christoph Sienblay, Florian Neuhaus. He has this extra as well, uh, where you think just uh, in a split second, he does something which, which you didn't imagine um, a split second before. And if I think you got a few listeners in South Dakota and Missouri or something, there's a player in American football I love to watch as well. Uh, he's the playmaker at Kansas, um, Kansas City, Ilya Sanchez. He's a different type than Kamada. He's more a passing gear, but player, but just the silk passes he has. And I think that's the real joy of football these days for me, just finding these players and following them and watching them. But 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 how how on earth uh, uh, did you come across uh, to to watch uh, uh, Kansas City uh, uh, playing football? Well, they've got they've got a coach uh, who admires Barcelona, and he he plays <laughs> um, he plays uh, in the four three three system of Barcelona in a passing game, and uh, I'm really a convict to to Barcelona football and I watch I follow all all kind of teams who play that kind of football in the world and Kansas City are very close to Barcelona in terms of what they want to do at least. <laughs> okay well I think that's uh, quite enough of Frankfurt as much as we enjoyed uh, Ronnie and I'm sure we'll have, we'll have you back. Got a few things more to say if you want. You know? <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll do that next time but um, I mean you were saying about a club that has a sporting director probably leaving um, a coach who wants out. Um, it's a perfect segue into into a Bayern discussion. Um, <laughs> we don't know, of course, if uh, Hasan Salihamidzic will will go. The uh, indications are that it's uh, Hansi Flick who might uh, might depart first. 
But following that 1-1 draw against Union Berlin, which doesn't really change all that much, Bayern still five points clear at the top. And of course, that huge game against PSG on, on Tuesday. There is a feeling in Munich that things are coming to a head. And this is a case where sometimes in social media you see people saying, oh, you know, this is the media just playing up this conflict. It's not as bad. I think the reality is actually about three or four times worse than the stuff you read. We only see bits of just how bad the situation is at Bayern. Um, Ronnie, you you have connections to Munich. You're, you're pretty close to the city as well. What What is your understanding of what's going on there and what is your prediction of how this is going to end? I got a feeling right from the start when Hansi Flick came on that he he used uh, Hazan Salihamidzic as a, uh, what do you call it, a sticking well, as a, a punching know, ball or a punching ball, exactly. That's the word um, to get closer to the team, um, to the players. And that was my feeling right from the start because there was a really anti Salihamidzic feeling in the dressing room that they didn't rate him, that they were making jokes about him. And I think the bottom line is that that Hansi Flick doesn't rate him as a sports director. That he thinks for some reason his signings weren't good enough. That that maybe his signings were too late. Um, in the season, and you can see he, he doesn't play the players that uh, Zalia Micic brought in. Uh, Bunasar and uh, Mark Hocker, they just have three or four games in the in the whole season. So it's hard for anybody else to, to really um, judge them and say if they're good enough or not. Um, from what I hear from the, well, but then again, it's from the managerial team, is that, that even on the training pitch, these players are not good enough and they don't give you a reason to play them but i haven't seen a single training so i couldn't judge it but so that was really coming to to high noon basically for some times now um and i got a feeling or from the from the sources i have at the club is that um there's really a drift between hansi flick and the dressing room on one side and the administration side of the club uh, on the other side lots of them support salia mitic i mean it's not him alone who's uh, who's signing these players. Um, he's relying a lot of, of uh, on Marco Neppe, the, the chief scout. Um, and these players have been scouted properly, uh, not like in the old days at Bayern Munich when somebody went to Brazil and came back with two players he found on a five-a-side pitch or something. You know, So um, it's it's hard from the outside to judge who is right. But the uh, you asked me for a prediction on the outcome and my stern prediction is that... Uh, Julian Nagelsmann will be Bayern Munich manager at the start of the new season and that Hansi Flick uh, will take over the Germany job. And this is a good good way to get out of it, of this conflict for, for everybody, basically. Um, a, a face-saving um, outcome, really. Well, my, my sense is that if Bayern can get Julian Nagelsmann for the summer, then there are certainly people in the club that would say, you know what, Hansi, you want out, that's fine. I still think there is a big question mark over the Nagelsmann availability. I, I understand that there are people at Leipzig who've made it known and important people to bind that they can basically forget about this is not going to happen. Whether that is just posturing or an attempt to extract maximum value, because I think they might actually ask for for a transfer fee if they release Julian Nagelsmann, I'm not sure. But I don't know how confident Bayern really are that they can get Nagelsmann. And that puts Oliver Kahn, who I think will ultimately probably make make the decision, in an interesting spot. Because if it's true that Hansi Flick is going to ask basically to be released after the PSG game, Kahn has to say either yes or no. And if he says yes and Bayern can't get Julian Nagelsmann, then I think they might be in a, in a difficult position. Uh, Christoph, where, where do you think this is going to this is going to go. What I find interesting and also dangerous about this uh, conflict is, uh, as, as Ronnie rightly described it, not only as a conflict between uh, uh, two people, between Flick and Salihamidzic, um, but that Flick tried, or and obviously successfully tried, to bring the dressing room and all the sporting side on his side against the club. And that is a, a major conflict. So it's not two people where you get, would say, oh, come, let's sit on the table, talk this through, find a solution and so on. But you actually 
split a club in that way. And, and that has to be solved. And obviously, there has to be a, a drastic uh, solution that is a bit, um, this town ain't big enough for both of us. And, um, and the, um, the obvious solution is um, uh, that, that the coach is leaving because there is interest from the uh, German FA. They, they need a new national coach. He would be the... Um, uh, perfect replacement for for Yogi Löw because he knows the situation and so on and so on. But um, as you uh, you're rightly saying, I mean, they uh, Bayer needs a top uh, coach, and the first choice, uh, a nat almost natural choice, would be uh, Julian Nagelsmann. And what if there isn't a chance to get him? So. Um, I think Bayern is in a in a um, very complicated and very dangerous situation. And and you, you, you were, when you were starting to ask about it, I think uh, it's true that it's uh, not blown out of proportion by the media. Maybe how how problematic the situation uh, is right now isn't uh, stressed enough right uh, at the moment. So I think a lot depends on uh, also on what what happens on on Tuesday in Paris. Of course, and Bayern still have a a chance. I don't know if, how big it is, especially if Leon Goretzka might not make it. But there there is a chance of overturning that, which would of course only strengthen Hansi Flick's hands. You'd you'd, you'd think to well to do whatever he wants. If he of course has decided that he wants to go, then I guess the result doesn't really change. All that much. But uh, Ronnie, let me ask you this. At Bayern, coaches have never been fully in charge when it comes to signing players. The club, rightly or wrongly, in my view, largely rightly believe that they should take a longer, more strategic view. And it's them who sign the players because players stick around longer. And it doesn't really work if you have a coach who picks his own players and then he's off and then you have players you don't want. And, and I'm not sure. It, it was interesting what you said about Hansi Flick almost sort of stoking this argument as a as a psychological ploy almost because I'd be very surprised if for example he wouldn't have been very much aware that Jerome Boateng for example is not going to get a new deal I mean that's something that hasn't happened overnight but Hansi Flick seemed to make a very big deal out of it and seemed to hint at the fact that he is really against that decision and he doesn't like the fact how this decision was communicated I find it hard to distinguish between what is a bit of politics and what is his genuine feeling in that sense. Because from the club's point of view, it makes a lot of sense. You wouldn't give Jerome Boateng a new deal just because Hansi Flick thinks he's a very important player now. Because next year, who knows? But my question is, and this, sorry if it took a bit of time to actually come out, is that if Julian Nagelsmann is the new Bayern manager, will he be able to work within that setup where he's not really fully in charge and people above him will make decisions and maybe he won't rate one or two of those decisions or the people involved either. I think the way Julian worked so far at Hoffenheim and uh, Leipzig shows you that he never really forced the, the club to sign any players he wanted. Um, he made his um, wish list clear to the club I remember, for example, talking to Alex Rosen, the um, sports director at Hoffenheim, and he said to me at the time that Julian wasn't very keen um, to talk English all the time. <laughs> so he wanted really um, the spotlight on signing German players. But it was Alex Rosen who always presented him the players. The same at Leipzig with uh, Krösche, Markus Krösche, the sports director. It was Krösche who suggested uh, Sirlot, for example, as a striking force. And Julian... Um, obviously looked at these players, but he's, a, he, he's able to work with this kind of player. So I think he would be definitely um, be happy to, to work in that kind of um, setup. And I think um, if you look at the Bayern Munich squad, it is quite good. I mean, um, yes, you can complain about, um, or you can discuss if a player like Mark Rocker um, is really good enough to, to play for Bayern Munich. But then I think it's just a side issue, really. If you look at the the first uh, 15, 16 players, they got a good quality. They were they just signed uh, Upamecano, who, in my opinion, is at least as good as uh, Jerome Bell Boateng. So you're absolutely right. Um, you wouldn't need to give Boateng another three years extension. So I think um, if Bayern Munich 
want Julian Nagelsmann, if Julian wants to join Bayern Munich, it will get expensive, it will get ugly, but in the end, they will get him. I mean, that's the natural process. Things have to go at a big club now. You, you, you don't want to have your, your, your coach to be too deeply involved into recruitment. I think coaches want to know what's going on and maybe discuss about it. And they are rounds where you sit together and say, okay, these are our transfer targets and what do you think about it? And and um, But the, the job at a big club uh, is done as, as Ronnie described it and or it's done like this at most of the club. The idea that a... A manager in, in German football is like the old school manager in English football that has the, uh, is, has a complete running of the sporting side of the club in his hands. I think it's, uh, and I'm wondering if, if Flick has this idea. I doubt it. I think there is a, 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 a it's just a sign of distrust and, um, Because if you if you're having the feeling um, the the technical director or the sports director brings in players that uh, that doesn't uh, that uh, don't help you, there there is a growing distrust and maybe that is what happened at at, at Bayern because he was unhappy about uh, Roca or or uh, Bunasar or others. Well, this started earlier, Christoph. If you remember, um, Hansi Flick was only in in his job for a couple of months before he very publicly attacked uh, Hassan Salihamidzic for not signing anyone to strengthen uh, in the winter break. And then Hassan Salihamidzic presented Odrio Zola. And I think that's where the distrust started and it's never been resolved since and it only seems to have worsened. We should also mention that Hansi Flick made the point, which you very hearly hear from a, from a Bayern manager, that he felt the squad was worse this season in terms of the quality and he he said it's it, it's a fact everyone knows this so um i don't know what this is if the situation is resolvable but um ronnie two more things on on julian because i know you're reasonably well connected in that respect is there any chance because we get asked this a lot on uh, at the athletic is there any chance that uh, julian might not go to Bayern but go to spurs instead because there might be a vacancy as well in the summer uh. I think there's no chance at all. I mean, if he leaves, I don't think he plans to leave Leipzig or he hasn't planned to leave Leipzig three weeks ago. Uh, let's put it this way. Um, but his next stepping stone is definitely not Spurs. No, this is the term of, uh, we're talking about the super clubs like Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Chelsea, these kind of clubs. I don't see him at Spurs at all. And do you see him actually, uh, if he does move on, eventually move on as a championship winner? Because because Bayern are now only, only five points clear. Leipzig had a great win. 4-1 away to Werder. And the way Bayern are playing or the the, the players that Bayern are playing at the moment might suggest with all the injuries that the Bundesliga isn't quite over yet. No, the Bundesliga is over yet. Otherwise, uh, Hansi Flick would have fielded another team last Saturday. He was, uh, after they beat Leipzig um, 10 days ago, uh, the Bundesliga is over. Bayern Munich will be the next champion and probably for the next uh, 23 years with uh, one or two exceptions. Uh, That's quite clear. But um, you ask about Julian, is he a champion? I think he is. Yeah, I think the the coaches I've seen in German football in the last uh, five years, um, he's in the top top three, top five. Uh, Tuchel, um, Julian, Klopp, and uh, one a few years ago I would have counted Joachim Löw in as well um, because I really rate him as a coach, even if he hasn't got the results and maybe if even if he hasn't got. Um, he hasn't made the right decisions lately. But I think Julian, if you watch the training, um, the, he really invents um, himself, the training sessions. He, he comes up with the team talks, the tactical preparation of the team, the way he decides which player to play in, in, in which position. I think he's uh, really second to none. Interesting that um, um, Ronnie didn't mention Hansi Flick in his list of the top, top, top German coaches. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I think he's a very good coach and he did the obvious thing at Bayern Munich when they were suffering with uh, Niko Kovac maybe playing too deep. Um, he did the sens- sensible things like, um, you know, they 
push the whole team a few yards forward, attack, attack more, win the ball earlier. And he seems to be very, very good with the players um, by building these, um, even them and us mentality. You know, um, it's us inside the team dressing room. Uh, we are one crew. And we've got an enemy outside. And even if the sports director is the enemy outside. Would it be enough, though, to move past PSG on Wednesday night, on Tuesday night? What do you think? Um, I think they got a mountain to climb because they're, climb because they're missing Lewandowski. And if you saw the first leg with Lewandowski, they maybe they would have won it 5-2 uh, or something. Chopa Moateng is a good striker. I think his movements at Bayern Munich the, the, the last few games are very good. But he's not as clinical as Lewandowski. And... Maybe he can't be after he's been a substitute now for two or three years. He was even a substitute at Paris Saint-Germain early on. They would need to win 2-0 and it's it's very, very difficult, but not impossible. Agree. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's possible, but I'm, I'm more in the rather impossible team because um, uh, yeah, Lewandowski is missing and that seems to me the decisive point. It was, was a decisive point in the uh, first leg and um, I would be surprised if, if they would overcome it in the, in the second leg. So I'm not too optimistic for Bayern right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, it looked like Mission Impossible for Dortmund when they were drawn against Manchester City. However, after a very decent performance and a result that still leaves one or two possibilities to one defeat at the Etihad, How do we feel about their chances? They prepared for this game with a 3-2 win at Stuttgart, the sort of win that perhaps a couple of months ago they wouldn't have won, um, but they stuck at it. They had resilience, uh, they had quality up front, uh, even efficiency, if you will, and they turned it around. Will they find that same kind of yeah resilience um, and, and consistency and will they show up at home and actually knock City out. Is it possible? Ronnie, you're smiling. Yeah, who knows when Dortmund will show up and not? Nobody knows. <laughs> not even the man with the glass ball knows that. Uh, I think Saturday's game against Stuttgart, I just saw the highlights, but it seemed to me a very typical Dortmund performance. You know, they, they scored some really great goals. The third goal from Knauf, the young guy, was fantastic. The way he dribbled around the Stuttgart defender. But then there were so open they left so much space to Stuttgart that you felt like uh, hold on do you know something about balance and um, so it will be a very interesting game um, I don't know how you felt I was quite surprised or disappointed about uh, Manchester City they played very passively I felt um, compared to the way they they play in, in England lots of time they weren't really taking the game to, to Dortmund all the time um, but then I think they lost against Leeds on, on Saturday. So I think that's been enough poor results for Manchester City. And uh, after two not-so-great games, they probably will really show up. And, uh, well, my my tip would be a, 
a 2-1 win for, for City that they might suffer or something, but in the end we'll go through. I'm a bit more optimistic for, for, for Dortmund because I was really, really impressed how they played at, at, at City. I think it was their best performance in, in, the, in the season. Um, I liked the way how they uh, played out from, from the back. Uh, rarely got under the pressure most teams uh, who play City uh, um, are under and um, and I, I'm um, and there is still um, some room for improvement, and the room for improvement has a name because uh, Erling Haaland uh, right now has a bit of a uh, diffi difficult phase uh, um, in, in in recent games, and um, but there is uh, any day it's possible that he he might explode, and uh, so um, the the chance. Uh, getting through against City is not huge. I mean, uh, right now, City, uh, so the, the A team, I think they were uh, playing a kind of B team against uh, uh, Leeds, is, um, is probably the best team in the world right now. But... Um, But uh, they have to. They seem to have issues uh, in the Champions League, uh, losing the nerves against uh, opponents they would normally beat. Uh, so maybe that will also have an effect on on Wednesday. So uh, yeah, there is a chance uh, for Dortmund, and I I, I wouldn't have thought it uh, a week ago uh, before the first leg. I think they would just be overwhelmed by by City. Yeah, well, and Dortmund might well have to win the Champions League if they want to be in the <laughs> yeah. <competition> next, <laughs> next season because they are still, as we said earlier, seven points adrift of Frankfurt in fourth spot. Uh, before we go, I think we have to talk a little bit about uh, Köln. They lost uh, a huge game at home to Mainz. 3-2, Mainz now looking very, very good as far as staying up is concerned. The improvement under Bo Svensson has been formidable. They are now in 14th spot with 28 points, but Köln dropping very fast. Uh, still 10 points clear of Schalke, but that is scant consolation because they are in 17th spot and look like they might go down. Uh, Bielefeld three points ahead of them in 16th. And Markus Gistol, who had been on the on the verge of getting dismissed for the last, I don't know, it feels like <laughs> six months now, finally was given his marching orders. And our old uh, friend of the Bundesliga, Friedhelm Funkel, has come back to save them. I think that's bad news in the league in a sense that he will no longer be able to offer unsolicited advice <laughs> to other clubs <laughs> how they should manage uh, the likes of Bayern, for example. But uh, let's see if he can save them. Um, Christoph, I'll start with you because Köln is, of course, a club that's reasonably close to your heart, having lived in, in, in the city for, for a number of years. I guess you're not really surprised by what's happened there. Uh, I'm not surprised by. Uh, I feel a bit for Gistol because um, um, I, I watched the um, uh, the match yesterday, and um, I found them. Uh, it is what what much more entertaining than you would have expected be, be, before uh, and and um, and Cologne was was unlucky because uh, for the first time in in many many weeks or months they. Uh, found a lot of uh, um, offensive solutions, and I think uh, uh, the main reason was uh, that they had a striker. I mean, we have been talking about them uh, uh, playing without a striker for weeks and weeks, only fielding midfield players, and now Sebastian Anderson uh, came back from an injury, had two two uh, uh, chances to score uh, a goal, and and altogether uh, Cologne looked improved but in the end they yeah uh, not completely unlucky lost against uh, mine so uh, it was a logical step uh, uh, to dismiss uh, Gistol but I don't know if it's really enough that um, uh, Köln has to offer to stay in the Bundesliga and uh, I think they will need a, a lot of luck in, in weeks to come 
to, uh, to, to stay in the Bundesliga right now? Well, I think uh, Gisler was a bit unlucky in that, as Christoph pointed out, that maybe yesterday's game was his best game uh, with Cologne this season. They really were attacking, they created chances, and as Christoph said, Sebastian Andenson made a difference. Uh, so they also had another player with Florian Kainz, who um, provided lots of crosses, um, went into dribbling on the wing, so uh, maybe the new manager found a better team than the old manager had in the in the in the late in the in the months gone by. Um, I've got even the theory: if Köln, even if they lose the next two games against Leverkusen and Leipzig, they still got a chance because the last four games, if they got into a run by just scoring that one goal by Sebastian Andersen and then score more goals, they can all win the last four games. They're playing Augsburg, Freiburg, Hertha Berlin, and Schalke. Um, and Hertha Berlin, that's quite interesting. They still have to play all the contenders in the relegation battles. Hertha play Mainz, they play Bielefeld, and they play Cologne. And if they manage to lose all three games, they might be really in trouble. And Hertha, I think it's it's easy to say that they've got the fantastic squad, that they should be 10, 10 places uh, higher than they are, but they don't get out of there. Um, the football they play is just... Um, a bit chaotic in the last few weeks. So I can see Cologne fighting with Hertha at least for the spot, uh, the 16th place, and then play the third team from the, the third place team from the second division for, for relegation or for a playoff game. It will also be still be difficult for Mainz because uh, they, for example, have to play Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, and uh, towards the end of the season in their last three matches, I think. So uh, probably they need to uh, uh, have enough points uh, before the the last three rounds, and um, that that might be uh, that might be difficult uh, uh, for for them. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I found interesting when when mentioning Hertha that um, uh, Paul Dada had a go at Askar Ziba after, after the... So he openly criticized him for the day after the match. Uh, he was openly criticizing Askar Ziba because he, um, he was frustrated uh, coming off the pitch and um, obviously refused to, to, to handshake the, uh, uh, the manager and... Um, that after a game where he pro he scored a goal and and provided a, an assist to another and um, an interesting move by by um, by Dardai maybe uh, trying to to put things uh, together at this yeah cha chaotic squad um, that um, can play some nice football has some still difficulties to uh, to defend and uh, probably still has difficult to uh, to have a united dressing room and to to so so maybe that was a, a sign that uh, Dada wanted to send out yeah well, one last question i have for the two of you if schalke and Köln were to go down and Schalke will go down of course but if Köln joined them how much of a blow is it for the league on the whole to lose such big traditional storied clubs with huge followings especially if and I, I hesitate to say this but especially if Bochum and Greuther Fürth <laughs> were to promote it in their place um, Hamburg at the moment second but um, we never know with Hamburg uh, Christoph, is there is there a danger that you know the Bundesliga will will lose a lot of its luster if that were come to pass? Even as a as a Bochum supporter, um, I know that uh, Cologne and Schalke are bigger clubs than uh, than Bochum uh, is, and uh, I think most of of the uh, people in the Bundesliga would be happy if at least Hamburg would uh, return to the uh, to the Bundesliga, although they. Um, are doing their best to to avoid it uh, a third year in a row. Uh, so if you don't know, they lost at home to Darmstadt uh, uh, this weekend. And um, yeah, I mean, um, it, it, maybe the worst case would be uh, Holstein, Kiel and Fürth uh, going up. Uh, so... Um, uh, 
Um, but but there are so many uh, big clubs uh, that are uh, stuck in the second division or at least in the third division. Or when you look at the third division, a, a one of the most traditional clubs in Germany, Kaiserslautern, is, is in the danger of being relegated to the fourth level of, of, of German uh, uh, football. And... Um, I mean, uh, I, I think we, we could make an extra podcast on the situation of the so-called Traditionsverein in, in, in Germany. So the, the clubs with the big history um, that are struggling um, and, uh, and on the, on the uh, other side, the, uh, how, how would you call them, non-traditional clubs like RB Leipzig or Hoffenheim and, and others. Uh, that are doing much better and what the reasons for, for this is. And, um, and, and yet it plays a part because um, when that Schalke is going down, it's self-inflicted. I mean, and, and the same goes for, uh, for Cologne. And, uh, and uh, they, are, they are too, normally they would be too big to fail, but uh, for Cologne, it, it would be even their seventh uh, relegation uh, in Bundesliga history. Um, so there is something missing at Cologne on a level that doesn't have to do with Gistol and Funkel and coaches and players, but in the organization of the club. I think it would be a huge blow for the Bundesliga if they lose Schalke and Cologne, because I think the biggest asset of the Bundesliga is really their supporters. Um, if you compare the Bundesliga to other big leagues, what stands out is really the atmosphere at the ground. Not really at the very moment, but uh, if uh, spectator, spectators are let into the stadium again, um, the football is half decent as in, as in the fr French league or in the Italian league, but you wouldn't get that kind of uh, even peaceful but fearful atmosphere. And if you ask the people who broadcast uh, German football, who, brought, who paid a lot of money for, to broadcast uh, the Bundesliga games, they will be well, shivering and shaking the heads because uh, a game like Wolfsburg against, as you mentioned, Kreuter Fürth or Holstein Kiel will be watched maybe by, I don't know, 30,000, whereas uh, Köln against, on the television, I mean, yeah, or even less, you mean, yeah, but uh, uh, Schalke against Cologne will draw in two or three million people. Um, so, yes, uh, the Bundesliga would lose a lot with these two clubs going down. Well, let, let, let's hope it, it won't come to pass, although there is a distinct possibility. But uh, whatever happens, I hope that you'll be back, Ronnie, because it was anything really nice you want to you. know on Kamada, on a, just give me a ring. <laughs> for a Kamada special, we'll, we'll invite you back on. No, but I think there is enough good reasons, there are enough good reasons to, to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Christoph. Thank you, dear listener. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until such time, take care. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13. And when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas, and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level, and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. An afternoon to forget for manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic. The Athletic.